Well, yeah. um, here, do you want to talk with Ed, my high-tech husband? Sure, yeah, that sounds great. Okay, here he is. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Um, okay, uh, what would you like me to do with uh, the audio file? Mr. Michael has um, my email address. Um, you can transfer that audio file. We have um, uh, this website that we usually use called WeTransfer. Hi everyone, I'm Josh McCormick, and this is Salute Talks. The coronavirus outbreak has caused serious changes to the fabric of our society. Many Americans are now facing shelter-in-place orders, new work-from-home routines, and other alterations to everyday life. These shifts, as well as the pandemic itself, are forcing us all to grapple with new problems and begin to ask new questions. One issue that is on the forefront of many healthcare providers' minds is something most might not have considered being an issue before, mental health. Whether someone has or has not experienced complications such as depression and anxiety, Dr. Sarah Knekel, a nurse practitioner and an assistant professor in the School of Nursing at UT Health San Antonio, joins Salute Talks to discuss mental health and how everyone can identify when they are not mentally healthy. So why don't we get started? Could you provide our listeners with a little bit of a background on you, where you are today, what got you here, and what you're doing now professionally? I have been a primary care nurse practitioner for the past 11 years, and I've cared for people across the lifespan from babies until the elderly. But the past year, I became a nursing professor. I'm at UT Health San Antonio, um, primarily teaching graduate students. And in addition, we at the UT Health San Antonio have a clinic. It's called Wellness 360. And at our clinic, we survey students and employees. But with this COVID-19, these past few weeks, I've also been trying to help in our local community here by volunteering with Metro Health. They have the COVID-19 testing site where we do drive-through services with the nose swab. So this for me has been an amazing opportunity just to be a part of the camaraderie in our community and to see how the different organizations work together with the police department, the fire department, and the Department of Public Health, and also the Southwest Texas Regional Advisory Council, how they're all coming together to help in this disaster relief. Wow, that must be an amazing opportunity. But first and foremost, we here at Salute America just want to say thank you so much for being on the front lines of this crisis and helping those who need it most right now. Glad to help, Josh. Can you give our listeners a little bit of background on when you first started working with mental health and how that plays a role in what you're doing? Well, mental health has always been important and is a part of primary care services. So even though I care for people's health needs, mental health is what makes all of us complete. We are all body, soul, and mind. And and as people have health concerns, they also may have mental health concerns. So throughout my career, even though primarily I provide the primary care, I have had to work closely with the mental health providers and with, you know, counseling services and behavioral health services. But a lot of times people's health problems are because of mental illness. So we do need to closely align mental health and physical care for all of our patients. So in my career, I have always had mental health be a part of my expertise and what I do in primary care. 
we find ourselves globally in the midst of something that hasn't happened in a long time, a global pandemic. And due to all of the readily available information, instant news, I imagine that it's more poignant right now, maybe than it has been in the past. In my personal life, talking with folks, something that I've heard a lot from loved ones and friends is that they're experiencing a lot of feelings that they haven't had to experience before. So based on your work in mental health for listeners who maybe haven't struggled with anxiety or depression or isolation, cabin fever-like feelings. Can you explain a little bit about what those feelings are? Hmm. Yeah, Josh, and it is so important for us to think about mental health and to not to stigmatize sometimes some of these feelings that people are experiencing. And you know, as people, our bodies are made for self-preservation. If we can think back a million years ago, life was much simpler. You know, we were in the business of food. You either ate or you got eaten. (laughs) So um, when a tiger was leaping to attack you from behind, your body would respond by going into high gear and your muscles would start working and you would start running. So that's what we know as the fight or flight response, right? So, you know, Josh, now we don't face the danger of being eaten by a tiger. Our dangers now are different. And now with this COVID, we are experiencing the time of crisis. And I'm sure, you know, you have personal experience, but I, I have really good friends that have been laid off temporarily. So we're worried, you know, we're worried about our finances or we're going to be able to pay our bills this next month. And even about health. When my kiddo has a cough, I suddenly start diagnosing them with you know, could it be COVID-19? So what happens to our body during these times of stress and with our brains is that we have this emotional response. In our hypothalamus, um, we detect these threats and it triggers us to have a flight response. And this triggers our hormones. We get the adrenaline and we get the cortisol and it puts our body into the state of overdrive. Right. Could you maybe take a a deeper dive into that and paint a a picture for listeners, what the actual bodily process looks like when those occur. When we're experiencing stress, our bodies do respond in many different ways. Stress does affect our body, but it also affects our minds. It affects our emotions and it can even affect our behavior. And honestly, adults and children, they also have different responses. So there are different physiological responses that happen. And well, with our body, stress can cause us to have palpitations or maybe we can have headaches or sometimes we even feel tired or we get those stomach pains because the stress goes right to our stomach. And with our minds, we can find ourselves, we're worried. You know, we're not able to think clearly and process. Also with our emotions, we can feel lack of confidence or even get irritable or it can affect our sleep. And even with our behavior, when we're feeling stressed, we can have a lot of um, loss of appetite or really feel restless. And some people are inclined to substance abuse. You know, they may find relief with the alcohol when they're going through difficult times. So it does affect our bodies in many different ways. But I can give you an example. At the clinic on Tuesday, I saw a patient that was coming in to see me, and he was a 45-year-old male. And this man, he has had two jobs in IT, but last week he got laid off. So he 
now um, has been having a lot of stress in his life. So he, that, the night before he saw me, had called 911 and the ambulance had come to his house. He had been having chest pain that had lasted for a few hours and his wife got really concerned and so she called 911. So the paramedics, they showed up at his house and they did an EKG and they were evaluating him for a heart attack, checking his oxygen, checking his sugar, checking his blood pressure. And with all these tests, everything came back normal. So the EMTs didn't see a need to take this 45-year-old man to the hospital, but they did encourage him to come and see his provider at his primary care the next day, so that's why he was seeing me. So when I was seeing him, after talking to him and hearing his story, he was telling me the symptoms he'd been having. Um, and after I got to know him, I ran my set of tests. I did the electrocardiogram, we did some blood work, and, you know, I was making sure maybe he has a thyroid disorder, make, maybe this is walking pneumonia that's triggering this chest pain that he's having. But all the studies also came back normal. And what he had been describing to me before I did all these studies was that he had been experiencing a lot of anxiety and he'd been really nervous the past week. He'd really just been worrying a lot and he'd been super restless. So after we had all of this data, really, it seems that he was having a panic attack. Now, Josh, I do want to be really clear. When people are having chest pain, it doesn't always mean it's a panic attack. But our bodies can respond to stress with some of these symptoms. So it's good for us to be aware of how stress does affect our bodies. When you were having that initial conversation with that patient, was it a surprise to that patient that anxiety and panic could cause such bodily reactions? Yeah, he, he, I don't think it ever crossed his mind that his chest pain could have been associated with the anxiety or the panic attack that he was experiencing. So as we were discussing um, and he was explaining really how he'd been worried and, and I think some of the questions I was asking him he hadn't even thought about how it could have been a stress response for him. So sometimes it is important just to be aware or to have somebody ask you or really not to stigmatize mental health as it does really cause these physiological responses. The thing with stress is, I know we think about stress as bad, but I do want to also just explain that stress isn't always bad. You know, sometimes stress is good. I, I can think of times where stress has been good in my life, you know, when you're getting ready for an exam and you're under a lot of pressure. And that stress can help you really retain a lot of that information that you're cramming. And even if it does just go into your short-term memory, it does help us maybe to perform well on our test because of that stress. Or I know sometimes, you know, if people are under financial stress, Maybe they realize that they need to do something and it can motivate them to think outside of the box and maybe start a new business. So stress does have bad ramifications and does have really bad symptoms and, and long-term stress is not good. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Rosalie Aguilar, Project Coordinator of Salud America. As an organization, our mission is to help create a culture of health equity for Latinos. We work toward this goal through countless hours of research, writing, editing, and producing. If you believe in what we're doing and want to support that work, 
please consider donating to our cause at saluth.to backslash donate. Thank you. Hi, this is Rebecca Jones, Assistant Director of the Institute for Health Promotion Research. Our organization serves as a research powerhouse that fuels Salute America's content. Here at the IHPR, we investigate the current state of health inequities in America and how that impacts the Latino community. Our research investigates cancer, chronic disease, and other health disparities among Latinos in South Texas and beyond. To learn more about the IHPR and our work, visit salud.to backslash IHPR. Thanks. In this time, for those who are experiencing heightened levels of stress or even some anxiety, in a way, could that be a cue from our body to start working on productive things while we might be cooped up in the home? If you're feeling some stress and anxiety, get up, go for a walk outside, or you can exercise in your home, or you can do something that is productive. Um, is, Is that potentially a part of this discussion? Yeah, Josh, I think those are all fabulous recommendations. And I think that's what we want people to be aware of. Just like you're discussing, if we feel that, you know, we're uncomfortable and we are worrying and um, and maybe we're, we are feeling restless, maybe we should evaluate how we're responding and try to be really intentional about trying to find a healthier response to the stress that we're experiencing so that we don't have a negative response to the stress that we're experiencing. Moving into a a different form of mental health that I think people could be struggling with during this time is depression. Could you provide a brief overview kind of in that same way you did with anxiety? What does depression feel like and how does that work in the body? Yeah, And you're right, Josh, depression is a very common mental health disorder. And we do need to be mindful that depression, it is different from sadness or from grief. Um, It's okay to experience sadness and and we do experience grief, grief and loss. I know maybe some of us, now that we're cooped up in our home, we are experiencing grief. We miss our friends. We miss being in the workplace with our colleagues. And all of those emotions are normal. But there are several factors that play a role in depression. The biochemistry, there's differences in the chemicals in our brain that do affect and cause depression. And even genetics. Depression, it does run in families. When they do studies about identical twins, they find that the twin is 70% likely to have depression like their other twin. So it is genetic. And even they have seen associations with personality. So people that have low self-esteem or who do get easily stressed or overwhelmed, they may be a little bit more pessimistic in nature and they may be more likely to experience depression. And I also just need to discuss the environmental factors. People that are going through a lot of violence or neglect or who experience abuse or even poverty makes them more at risk for struggling with depression. It can present with symptoms of feeling like they lack interest or lack pleasure or they feel down or sometimes people they feel hopeless when they're depressed and it affects sleep. People can be sleeping a lot more or a lot less when they're depressed or even their energy. People sometimes feel pretty tired also with our memory, we have trouble concentrating or we find ourselves restless or fidgety. When we talk about depression, we do need to always make sure to remember that when depression is severe, people do have thoughts of hurting themselves 
and they potentially are at risk for suicide. So it's important for us to be really conscientious about depression. In some of these moments, as life is dramatically shifting, if somebody notices that they're feeling a little down or a little bit more anxious than normal, what resources would you recommend to learn more about what anxiety and depression look like? Well, the United States Preventative Task Force has um, information about depression. The American Psychological Association has a lot of resources on depression. Even the Center for Disease Control, they have a lot of information on depression. And the American Family Practice Association also has resources. There's a lot of places people can go to just find objective data on you know, what depression is and what symptoms are common. But it is always good and appropriate to seek help from the professionals and to discuss symptoms with your healthcare provider or maybe find out um, what counselors are available and network for people depending on what insurance they have. Because counseling services are pretty accessible and, and these are professionals that are able to help people who are struggling with mental health illnesses. Moving into another facet of this, a lot of families will be at home. I know that as we were talking earlier, you're one of those folks. Kids and spouses are now all in the home together um, all the time. And, And one thing that I'm curious about is for parents who are now with their kids 24 seven inside the home, and maybe they're noticing anxiety and depression, what can parents do to identify what anxiety or, or depression or some of these mental health issues look like in their child or even their teenager? Yeah, Josh, I think it is good to be mindful that both you know children, teenagers, people of all ages can experience stress and anxiety. And with children, it is similar. When they are stressed, what happens physiologically is that their cortisol and their adrenaline, the hormones go up. And it, it's Good cortisol is good. It's in our body, and the cortisol helps us to regulate our sleep. It helps us with our appetite. It even helps us to control our sugar in our body, and it helps to regulate our metabolism. So those hormones that are our stress hormones in normal levels are healthy. But what does happen, and with the kiddos, when they're experiencing a lot of stress, and primarily if they experience a lot of stress, that happens on a regular basis or that becomes chronic is that this stress and these cortisol levels do start to negatively affect them. And when children are stressed, it can affect their immune system and they can be more predisposed to getting sick. And with kiddos, often it's common that the stress affects them in the stomach and their gut. They, a lot of times, do get stomach pain or they get constipation or diarrhea. So kids do respond a little differently to stress. And yes, you are right, Josh. I have, with my three kids at the house, and now my husband and I trying to work from home, there is a whole new level of stress that we're all experiencing as we're trying to all um, learn to, well, you know, be together 24 hours a day. (laughs) So I'm experiencing it firsthand. For sure. One other facet that I would love to discuss is I think one side of this whole pandemic that is currently being discussed at the national platform and everyday individual conversations is we're seeing how some of the systems we have in place, how those are functioning and maybe how those need to improve. 
concerning this conversation, I'm, I'm wondering, could you maybe paint a picture for listeners how certain disadvantaged groups, maybe those who face racial barriers, economic barriers, uh, even geography barriers, how some of those disparities that they experience on a regular basis, how those can impact anxiety and depression, especially in an experience that we're going through right now, how those worries can lead to greater anxiety. Yeah. And Josh, you're right. You know, I, I think it's it's always important for us to consider how disadvantaged groups does affect them firsthand and some of the stressors they experience can be chronic and recurring. And sometimes, well, people that are more disadvantaged, they may be with children, maybe they do sometimes have to experience neglect because the parents have to go to work to make minimum wage or, or sometimes um, people can experience abuse or even poverty, experiencing day-to-day poverty and having to worry about food or having enough um, money to pay the bills. All of these do make the vulnerable more at risk for struggling with mental health issues. And like we were discussing, having situational stress, things that just happen and then over time, you know, in a month or so they get better, isn't always necessarily bad. But with recurrent or even these chronic bouts of stress over months or even longer. This can cause, um, well, a lot of times in children, they can, when they experience trauma or abuse and they're exposed to a lot of things, or even honestly, Josh, social media is important to discuss because a lot of times if kids that are really young are exposed to really bad things on social media or even if they see a lot of news and a lot of these you know catastrophic events happening all that exposure can start to really affect children and it can lead to this stress but for adults um you know with work and financial struggles or or even as we worry about the future of our nation or family obligations all of this does affect our emotional responses. And it is these ongoing chronic bouts of stress that start to affect our health and they do start to affect our immune system and lead to these mental health problems that become long-term issues. So I think, well, it is good and important for us to be mindful even of how our cities are trying to help the disadvantaged during these times. I know within my public school district that my children go to, they're trying to provide food for children who may not be able to get breakfast and lunch now that they can't go to school. So trying to really meet the the day-to-day needs of our children or our community now who may be struggling financially. Hopefully, um, we're able to make these resources available and people are able to be informed about them so they can meet at least their basic needs. Next week, Dr. Kanekel returns to discuss the other side of this complicated issue, how to address mental health problems in this time of crisis. Thanks to Dr. Kanekel for joining us in today's discussion. To learn more about her and her work, visit this episode's webpage at salute.to slash talks. Salute Talks is produced by Josh McCormick and the media team at Salute America. It is executive produced by Dr. Amelie Ramirez. The music heard on this podcast is produced by Bonus Points. Find Salute America online at salute-america.org. 
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social platforms at Salute America. Watch our award-winning videos on YouTube by visiting salute.to slash video. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoyed.